0: Journal, Television for Agricultural Business Decisions is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board.
1: Thanks so much for joining us today on Market Journal. I'm Bryce Duskett. Greetings to you from the Sand Hills. It was back in 1978 that the ranch we're standing on today was gifted by the Goodmanson family to the University of Nebraska Foundation. Today, the Goodmanson Sand Hills Laboratory, one of the many research sites across Nebraska, which is run by the University of Nebraska, this year featured their 24th open house. So this week on Market Journal we bring you some of the speakers and presentations from that event. But first we begin with uh, this, you know behind me things are very green here in the Sand Hills this year but that's not necessarily the case all across Nebraska. Because of that some producers might be considering uh, bringing their cattle in a little earlier and dry lotting them this fall. Carla Gerlach has more on some tips when it comes to dry lotting cattle.
2: Drought has been a common topic and on the minds of producers as the state of Nebraska continues to experience drought. The lack of moisture has influenced the decisions of many farmers and ranchers, causing them to adjust their practices to ensure that they will produce a successful crop or successfully feed their herd. This fall, cattle producers may look to an alternative way to feed their cattle.
3: Drought certainly impacted us uh, quite a bit across the Midwest the last couple of years. And so uh, we've really seen you know our pastures take, uh, the, take its toll on the pastures. Uh, we see shorter forages that haven't really recovered, um, improved pastures and alfalfa stands are thinning out due to it. But uh, we can hopefully increase the productivity of those pastures in future years by using different techniques such as forage extenders or feeding cattle in dry
2: lots. Producers who traditionally pasture their cattle may choose to feed them in a dry lot setting, giving their pastures time to recover from grazing.
3: The biggest advantage of dry lotting this year is it gives those pastures a little more time to recover. We've been in drought for about the last three years or so and these pastures have taken it pretty hard around the state of Nebraska, so In order to give those pastures a little relief to be able to stockpile some more dry matter tonnage, we can put them in a dry lot scenario and then just feed those cattle harvested feeds rather than using our pasture resources.
2: Beyond allowing pastures recovery time, dry lotting can offer other advantages such as closer observation of the herd, low weaning stress, and the opportunity to bunk break calves prior to weaning. With the advantages of dry lotting, it is important to ensure that the lot is in good condition. When properly managed, confined feeding herd health can be compared to pasture scenarios.
3: It's better to have a little bit of moisture, uh, but you don't want it to be too dry, because if it's too dry and your pins are too big, uh, that can lead to pneumatic issues for the calves. And so, uh, with the cows kicking up all that dust, it can cause some respiratory issues in those younger, smaller calves.
2: While some areas of the state are looking for more rain, others have found relief from the drought. Dry lotting may not be necessary for every producer this fall, but it is an option producers should be willing to consider.
3: Dry lotting is something that you really need to take a pencil to and figure out the economics of it. I think if it's a cheaper option, that it's definitely something that maybe uh, should definitely be looked into just For producers to look to see what their options are and weigh the two options against one another, there are some benefits of having your cattle in a dry lot to where uh, they're easier to monitor and it creates less weaning stress on the calves when that time comes. But all in all, it's really a decision that needs to be uh, left to the producer to make.
2: As the fall approaches, cattle producers will need to consider their options and decide what will benefit their operation in the end, whether that be dry lotting or keeping their cattle in the pasture. Reporting for Market Journal, I'm Carly Gerlach.
1: Good stuff there, Carly. We appreciate that story. Now, if you'd like to learn more on this topic, you can visit beef.unl.edu. Let's turn our attention back here to the Goodmanson Sandhills Laboratory. Joining us now is Dr. David Augustine. He is with ARS USDA, official title Rangeland Resources and Systems researcher, you gave a presentation out here, you know, they wish there was a silver bullet to the question of uh, stocking rates and the variability when it comes to cattle production. There's not, so that was your presentation to cattle producers today. High level, what, what's most important to share with our, our audience today about that?
4: I would say that there is no silver bullet for um, adjusting your stocking rates relative to the variability and, you know, how much rain you are gonna get and how much forage you're gonna produce. It's very difficult. A lot of the rain we get is uh, comes in the summer after we've tried to make f- stocking rate decisions. Um, but we have found that incorporating yearlings into your operation, if you can have that uh, flexibility that yearlings bring and that you can liquidate your herds more quickly or add new animals more quickly, uh, then you can make adjustments during the growing season. Um, and we've been trying to develop remote sensing products, particularly uh, a remote sensing product that um, enables us to uh, estimate the the near real-time availability of forage on our experimental range in Colorado to uh, help us make those decisions more quickly, especially for destocking when to to rapidly destock in a drought, but also when are we way above in forage and could we be bringing in more animals. So um, I think that's the biggest one. The other thing we've really, uh, high level that we've learned is that long-range you know three-month climate outlooks or three-month weather forecasts are still very very difficult to make especially when you're in april and trying to make a decision for what's going to happen say june or july i'm really curious about the sensing
1: capabilities and the remote sensing what what kind of research have you done into that what what does that look like on the ranch
4: so um well first of all i would say one of the things that's, that's out there available to all ranchers across the entire Western Great Plains is something called the Rangeland Analysis Platform, which helps to estimate the forage production that you're going to get on your ranch during the current growing season. Um, one of the challenges, though, is knowing how much do you have right now, mm-hmm. what's your standing biomass at, at any given time in different pastures. Um, so the product we've developed uh, uses the harmonized Landsat Sentinel. Uh, data to predict standing biomass on the experimental range where I work in Colorado. Now we haven't expanded that calibration to the whole Western Great Plains, um, but having both those products, how much grass was produced, but also how much do we have available right now on the ground given what the cattle or other other wild herbivores have eaten, um, having that to help make decisions is really helpful if you're going to try to be flexing your stocking rates. So, um, we're working on, on expanding those calibrations to other locations like the Sand Hills. seems like on
1: this topic, uh, you've been doing research for several years, able to look at that and uh, try to tweak things year to year, well, I guess, what has worked well? You mentioned a 20% figure increasing stocking rates from, say, 20 years ago, right, I suppose, or how long ago was that?
4: Right. Well, we started uh, an adaptive rangeland management experiment 10 years ago okay. in northeast Colorado. And we started that out at a fairly what we would consider a moderate, recommended moderate stocking rate. Uh, But over time we've learned that um, we were able to increase that stocking rate about 20 percent and still maintain our cattle gains at levels we wanted. Um, This is working with yearling steer operation. And uh, uh, that level seems to work. We've also, through some trial and error as well as analysis, uh, found a level of stocking where we're just not getting the cattle weight gains we want. And so um, about 20% above the moderate is where, we're, where we've landed within that particular experiment. I
1: have to imagine when uh, this conversation boils, and your research boils down to it, having a plan going into the year, maybe a drought plan, so to speak, uh, when that does strike, we know it comes every once in a while anyways, is uh, perhaps one of the key factors here. Is that is that right?
4: Yes, absolutely. And that's where, I mean, Having a drought management plan with some triggers in it as to when you're gonna make decisions is very important, but you also have to have uh, knowledge of what your forage base is when you hit those triggers. So, um, but having a plan and then also knowing what you've got on your ranch, uh, put those together can be very helpful for adjusting stocking rates. I'm
1: curious, what else uh, you know, trips your mind uh, of things that fascinate you on this topic that you'd like to look, continue to look into that would have an impact for uh, Nebraska Sandhill producers?
4: Oh, That's a great question. I mean, I think moving forward um, there are some real opportunities to improve our use of technology in rangeland management. Um, I think virtual fencing
5: um,
4: in combination with remote sensing advancements can, make, uh, can, can really help with a lot of decision making and also help with us being able to more adaptively um, move animals in space and time to match available forage.
1: Moving along now and our coverage continues with Goodman's and Sandhills Laboratory Open House fresh off of her presentation. Joining us now to discuss the cattle markets is Caitlin McCulloch. She is the director of the Livestock and Marketing Information Center. And Caitlin, anytime you can deliver good news to cattle producers, they like to hear that and particularly about the cattle markets this year, you're able to do so, right?
6: They generally do seem to be a little happier when you're talking about prices rising. So it's always, a, it's always a good to talk to producers and see how they're feeling, but they generally seem a little happier when you're delivering that kind of message.
1: Well, you talked uh, kind of a, a long-term outlook of where you see this market going. That's always uh, challenging to do. But what are the factors, I guess, that you're watching that might indicate a direction of the cattle markets?
6: So the fundamentals that we're looking at primarily and maybe the biggest driver is gonna be the cattle cycle. So that's the change in herd inventory, specifically related to beef cows. And we've been on a downward trajectory for the last several years um, and that's expected to continue. So we lost quite a few animals nationwide. Um, over the last several years, due to drought, the western U.S. and then the southern plains, and this year, still some problem areas in the southern plains and northern plains and corn belts. So, there's it's we're not necessarily out of the woods yet from a drought perspective, but generally speaking, a lot of the areas that we're having trouble have, have been able to rebound in terms of pasture conditions and are, are no longer uh, culling cows because of drought in that perspective. And so what we're looking at right now is probably a slowdown in how fast that cow herd is declining. We have about a one5 to 2% decline expected on January 1, 2024, which is when your next USDA NAS report will tell us the numbers for the U.S. beef herd.
1: When might we see a flip in that and see an increase in the cattle herd? Any thoughts on that projection?
6: You know, I think it's going to be a while. So we have uh, a lot of heifers on feed. About 40% of the animals on feed are heifers, which is an enormous percentage. If You think back to 10 years ago, 2014-15, that number was closer to 36%. And what that means is if they're on feed, they're not able to be bred, they're not able to be retained. And so you've really taken our ability to expand the cow herd Uh, from retained heifers out quite a few years. So until you see that ratio drop, we're probably not gonna see an expansion. So right now what I have penciled in is 2026. Could it happen a little bit sooner? Absolutely, but it, it just doesn't seem like we're gonna be able to turn it very fast for a couple of reasons this time. And one of the bigger reasons is probably that the hay supplies are still a little tight, pasture and range are still recovering but also the profitability piece of this isn't quite as good as what it was 10 years ago. Interest rates are higher. Um, And so there's a few variables here that are different maybe than the last cattle cycle.
1: That brings me to where I kind of want to bridge this conversation to, I'm sure some of the producers were curious your thoughts on, you know, is now the time where we should try to be rebuilding our local herds and maybe be investing into that future cattle, uh, that that herd, so to speak. Your thoughts on that? Of course, uh, you mentioned the fact, there's a lot of factors involved in those kinds of decisions.
6: I think it depends on if you're able to grow your herd organically through ret- retaining heifers versus buying them. We have seen an uptick in the beef replacement auctions. Now those don't necessarily have data every week and so some of them are hard to tell. They're up about 20 to 50% from last year's cost. So if you are buying them on the auction market, it's gonna only get more expensive. And so that might be a consideration. Interest rates are quite a bit higher. Those may or may not continue to grow. And so from a timing perspective, um, it might get more expensive from here, but it still might not be the right time depending on your operation. And that's gonna be something that really is gonna come down to a very localized type of market. Um, beyond what maybe I look at, which is some bigger trends uh, longer term.
1: Had a chance, of course, to listen to part of your presentation and some of the questions producers asked from you. One of them I want to ask to you here on Market Journal had to do with who who in the cattle sector is going to be the winner of the next few years. A producer asked that question, you know, this time around is it the packer, the feed yard, or the cow-calf person. Your answer to that question was?
6: So everybody's a winner sometimes, and, but very rarely is everyone a winner at the same time. And so, when you're thinking about who do i want to be today um, versus in a year that might be a different a different question. So right now the cow calf producer is 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 ramping up their profitability. So the next 2 years are expected to be better than than 2023. And so if i if i could pick maybe that would be my answer. I think the cattle feeder is going to get squeezed a little bit between high feeder co- feeder cattle costs so that input side for them, feed costs are expected to come down. So it's not that they maybe won't be making making money, it's more like they won't be maybe having as good of a year as they did in 2023. So if I was gonna pick 2023, I probably would have said a cattle feeder and and the packer has quite a few more levers that they can pull. And so, you know, we're not necessarily expecting them to be where they were back in 2020 or 2021, which is when you would have said they were taking, you know, kind of that lion's share, that supply chain. So. You know, the answer today versus in a year, I think, is between that cattle feeder and that cow-calf, but probably transitioning more of the cow-calf side in the next couple of years. Well, when
1: you have higher prices of beef here in the U.S., that leads to perhaps more imports. That's something we've seen uh, when, you know, historically happen. You brought that up, and you noted you weren't particularly concerned about the, the pace of U.S. imports of beef. Why is that?
6: So. A lot of times it's it's, it's a help. Um, so when we think about the US consumer getting squeezed financially, ground beef usually moves really well in those types of environments. And as you're slaughtering less and less cows, you don't have as much 90% lean. And so a lot of what we're gonna be importing is the shortfall of 90% lean, which is gonna enable us to grind it with 50% uh, ground beef, which is gonna come from that fed cattle market. And so, we really kind of need it in some ways to make that whole marketplace function. And you know, in the absence of it, you just see 90% lean go to more, higher and higher prices and maybe price out some of those consumers on the ground beef side of things. Um, and so it's not abnormal that we see large imports. Um, They haven't been as big as I thought they would be in 2023, but we are expecting them to be quite large in 2024 and 2025 as we're predicting smaller and smaller cattle supplies as well as smaller and smaller cow slaughter. Well,
1: it's an interesting cycle. We'll keep a close eye on it here on Market Journal. Caitlin, really appreciate you joining us here as we take a look at the cattle markets. Thank you for having me. Moving along now, and we're stepping away from cattle for just a second to tell you that Bob Halverson knows a thing or two about specialty crops. Now he is the Extension Plant Pathologist based at the Panhandle Research Extension and Education Center out in Scotts Bluff. He is doing all kinds of research when it comes to specialty crops and the diseases they are facing. You can read about that work in the latest issue of The Nebraska Farmer. Well, it is now time to turn our attention to weather. Joining us back in the studio this week is Eric Hunt, Nebraska Extension Ag Climatologist. Eric, it was a toasty week this past week, but weather, the temperatures, I should say, turned down just a little bit here as we near the weekend. What can we expect in the week ahead?
7: Well, thanks, Bryce. I'm ready for fall, and yes, I think we are out of the worst of the heat. Some relief is on the way. Well, let's just take a look and see just how hot we've been this week. So from Sunday through Wednesday, most of the state made it over 100 degrees. A few places made it over 105 A few parts of southeastern, northeastern Nebraska managed to not hit 100, but it was also very humid in some of those places. Again, this is all the result of a very strong mid-level ridge of high pressure. So the uh, 500 millibar height on the sounding from Omaha that was released on Monday evening was 602 decameters. That is the highest height for 500 millibar sounding on record for Omaha, dating back to 1948. So with the heat and humidity and plentiful sunshine and lighter wind speeds, we've had some extreme danger for our cattle across the entire state, particularly in parts of southern and eastern Nebraska. Uh, for example, at York and in, at York, we've had four days this last week where we qualified for the extreme danger on the cattle comfort index, which basically means that at some point during the day we had a cattle comfort index over 113 Fahrenheit. As you would expect with this very strong ridge of high pressure, we've had very little precipitation across the entire central United States. Parts uh, of western Nebraska actually did pick up some moisture, I think, on Tuesday earlier this week. Uh, and again, they might be one of the few places in the state that will actually pick up some rain later next week. So, while we have in general had a somewhat mild summer, when we have had heat this summer, we've been also, it's been very hot and very humid. For example, at Fall City, what this histogram shows is that we have been way above average for heat indices that are over 105, 110. So we've reached heat index or excessive warning criteria very often this summer. So in terms of drought update, uh, there was actually really nothing to report on this week since there was actually no change anywhere in the state, uh, which is good or bad news depending on where you are. Again, you know, we've seen some improvement in parts of northeastern Nebraska in the last couple of weeks, but without precipitation, uh, we're probably not going to see any improvement in the near future. In terms of what the vegetation looks like, again, this is fairly similar to what we've seen in recent weeks. Worst conditions continue to be here in parts of eastern and central Nebraska. Generally, things are pretty good out west. So I finally have the opportunity to show you the quick dry map. So quick dry is the counterpart to veg dry, which shows the short-term dryness. And we are starting to see more short-term dryness across parts of um, uh, central and south-central Nebraska. And a lot of these are some places where we also correspondingly have been in drought for quite a while, but this also shows that in the last 30 days, we've also been fairly dry. Soul moisture, kind of the same story since we haven't had much rain the last seven to 10 days. We are starting to dry out the top part of the profile and we are going to see those percentiles start to edge back downward toward uh, you know, lower than 20% for a lot of the state. So in terms of what we have coming up for the week, we, look, we should get some moisture across parts of southern Nebraska early this weekend. Uh, we are definitely going to see a rel- relief from the heat statewide. Unfortunately, we are are looking at above average temperatures coming back into the picture as we get into later next week. Now, this does not look like an excessive heat spell coming on, but we are probably going to be well into the 80s and likely in the low 90s for most of the states we head into our Labor Day weekend. There is some chance of rain north of I-80 early this weekend, but I think most of eastern Nebraska is going to stay dry this next week. And unfortunately, it looks like that's a trend that might continue for a little while. There are some chances for scattered showers in Panhandle, north-central Nebraska toward the end of this next week. 18-14 day outlook as we get toward the end of August. It looks like we are going to be probably drier than average across a lot of the central U.S. And we are expecting temperatures to be fairly warm. Again, this is a trend I expect to continue as we get into September, potentially for the entire month of September. Thanks. Back to
1: you, Bryce. Alrighty, thank you very much for that update, Eric. We do appreciate that. Time to pivot our attention now, head out into the fields. I guess we're not in the field, so to speak, but it is our in the field segment. Joining us, a local rancher from the Hyannis area, Russ Anderson. Russ, good to see you. Thank you. We're gonna talk about it. conditions happening uh, out here in, in your neck of the woods. I mentioned this in my introduction, how green things are. That's not typical for August for you guys,
5: is it? Not typically, no.
1: <laughs> talk no. about the rainfall that you've seen this past year. Obviously, it's, it seems to be a little bit more abundant, at least late in the season.
5: Yeah, we, went, we had such a heavy snowfall. We thought that would bleed over into spring, and it didn't. We had a dry spring, and there was cattle either leaving or planning to leave by the first of June. People were starting to dig into their drought plans, and uh, we had a little bit of wetter meadows typically, so we tried to hold them on a little bit, and I'm glad we did. About the first part of June, we started getting a little bit of rain, and uh, what really saved us this year was June was cool. We There was a lot of days we were wearing jackets, and the grasses, it was let them to hold on, and then by the middle of June and latter part of June, we really started catching some really good grains. So. That really had to, the warm season grass has been fantastic.
1: Typically in a year you might, you shared with me, you might get 15 inches or so of, of precip for the entire year, what is Fifth,
5: this? Yeah, I think our annual precip's 15 to 20. It's been, uh, the last five or six years, it's been as much as 30 to 40 now. All the surface water has raised up so much around the country in this area, but uh, it's, you'd rather have a flood than a drought,
1: (laughs) Well, let's talk about, uh, you know, we're not gonna cuss the rain by any stretch of the imagination, but because of that, uh, as you referenced, uh, some of your uh, haying meadows, you're not able to get to those, were you?
5: Yeah, we had a relatively dry spring, so our cool season grasses couldn't really grow, and then it was cool enough that the warm season grasses were holding on, or weren't growing that much, but then when it flipped, uh, the cool seasons or the our wet meadows were staying so wet we couldn't put up with the hay the hay was there but it was in water so we didn't have the cool seasons up on the upper that was dry enough but uh, we couldn't get down into the wet meadows because they're still standing water but here lately it's dried out and starting to get warmer so most ranches are going back in a second time to get what they can the quality won't be as good but it, we need the tonnage so we're going to be Getting everything we can. Heard from a
1: couple producers, you know, when it comes to the hay situation, you know, there's been plenty of rain, but because of the lack of hay, it might be tough to keep those cattle for the winter. Are you hearing that from your friends and neighbors as well?
5: Um, everybody is, again, yeah, we're, if we can go to corn stocks, we're going to corn stocks, but uh, we've heard a lot of the farmers used to have more corn that they'd switched to soybeans because of the inputs, so we're losing that. and Just uh, the trucking hay in from outside of the sand hills is becoming more and more prevalent, it's, it, you don't uh, trying to just figure out the least cost of way to get a cow through the winter. Yeah.
1: I was asking you about sunflowers because I'm sure in our broadcast our, our viewers will be able to see there's an abundance of them out here this time of year. Is it typical to see so many sunflowers or the rain bring a lot of those in?
5: Well, the rain did, but generally brings the sunflowers on as a year after a drought. Okay. So last year we were pretty dry and then so the next year it's just if you can see the end towards the end of summer the other sunflowers just explode mm-hmm. and they they did really good especially with the rains we've had so yeah they've grown
1: well tell me about uh, some of the other conditions for your ranch your operation things you're facing challenges or opportunities you see
5: um, basically just the weather the situation what's kind of irritating for us now for putting up the hay which in most of our area, we use uh, high school kids or college-age kids to help put up the hay. Well, now that the haying conditions are just right, they're all back to school. So there's a lot of us are scrambling, trying to get the hay put up without with half the help or less than that. I usually have my two daughters help me and now it's down to me and some part-time help. So we're trying to get that done. Um, and then normally, this time of year, you. Your calves are growing, so the water intake levels, or water intake requirements every day are going up, so you're having to keep track of windmills and pipelines and anything else, all your water requirements so that puts a little more added pressure to it there's always something there's always something
1: before i let you go we had the market outlook here with caitlin she was talking about the long-term factors uh, influencing the cattle market seems though there's a lot of optimism out there particularly for cow-calf producers are are you feeling that same way and in conversations hearing that
5: yeah yeah we'll be good that's you know i have neighbors we've talked to for the last few weeks i think i think we'll be good the market's going to stay good uh until Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas start getting lots of rain and growing a lot of grass and then they'll be pulling heifers back and it'll grow. I think we're good for a couple of years and then we'll see short of something geopolitical or worldwide something happen and I think we'll be fine.
1: All right. Good thoughts, Russ. Appreciate you joining us. That is Russ Anderson. He is a, a farmer or I should say a rancher near the Hyannis area. Well, that is going to do it for this week's broadcast as we join you again from the Sand Hills at the Goodmanson Sand Hills Laboratory. We certainly appreciate you joining us and for the staff out here hosting us this week. Now, coming up on next week's broadcast, we'll be joining you from the Nebraska State Fair. Hope you'll join us then. But until then, I'm Bryce Duskett, wishing you a safe and productive week.
0: Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter. Instagram, and Facebook. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.